Welcome, everybody, to the MESPA Principal Cast. This is Brett Domstrand, Principal of Lake Marion Elementary here in Lakeville, Minnesota. And today I am uh, very honored to be welcoming Ken Williams to our podcast. And Ken is going to be a keynote speaker at Institute in February. And so, uh, Registration for Institute has opened. It's Wednesday, February 5th through Friday, February 7th, and you can register at mespa.net backslash institute. So make sure you get registered. There is an early bird discount if you sign up before January. So get out there and sign up, folks. And Ken is going to be our keynote speaker on Thursday, February 6th at 8 a.m. So he'll be there bright and early. So I'm really excited about the conversation we're about to have. And so without any further ado, Ken, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Our honor is all ours, Ken. Um, I got to tell you, I've been doing a little research prior to your arrival um, here on the podcast. And, you know, I've been reading the book, Starting a Movement. And, and let me tell you, the title is, is very appropriate because starting a movement right there already sets the tone for if you want to build momentum of making change in your school to make it better for all kids, you need to start a movement. So how do you change that culture? So can you talk a little bit about how this book came to be? Sure. So it's been a, it's it's been quite a journey. My my last principalship, my first principalship was in a a very progressive district that had a little of every type of school in it, and I had a school kind of in the middle of the pack, but the district was ripe with resources and support, and it was a great place to cut my teeth. When my family and I decided to move to Atlanta, I became the proud principal of the lowest performing school in the district and the district was the lowest performing district in the greater Atlanta area. Mm. And so I realized very quickly that if we were going to change the narrative of the school, change the perception, we were what I call that school, you know, that school, you dropped your head when you admitted that you worked there. If you were new, you had no choice because you needed a job. And if you were a veteran, you were probably placed there because someone was upset with you. We want to change that perception. And we realized very quickly that it wasn't going to change from the outside in, that we, our staff, had to organize, close ranks, and change things from the inside out. And so over time, that has become my niche. You know, I I, I call myself, a, you know, I, I, I train, I coach, I provide mentorship and support to leaders of that school in your district. Not, not that school over there. I'm talking about that school. And the goal is, is to move it from that school to the school. Mm -hmm. And and you articulate it very well because when you talk about that school, you're also talking about that kid or those kids. Or when we get into that kind of language, we start, it's almost like we're putting up mental barriers of reasons for why we can't succeed. And and your focus really is about all right let's you know what let's get rid of all this the, this language that is is setting up barriers for for our system to succeed or for our school to succeed for all of our kids and and so you know you lay out some pretty clear um foundations and and while clear communication we all take as you know well of course you have to have clear communication if if we all know this why aren't we successful in how we communicate as leaders or how we help get our buildings um, to where we want them to be? Um, share a little bit about, you've got, you've got a lot around communication. 
but it's not just about speaking clearly, um, about how you arrange around a, a vision, how you actually set the tone for others to succeed. Talk a little bit about how that um, has really played a role in how you lead and how you mentor others. You know, well, I, I appreciate that. You know, the, the first thing is I don't deny that a lot of the kids we serve uh, come from tons of disadvantaged circumstances, that they come to school with deficits. They come to school uh, in what Dr. Yvette Jackson, the author of the Pedagogy of Confidence, calls school yeah. dependent. They depend on us to gift them with what they need. What I work hard to do is to get leaders and staff to understand that when we give labels power, the power comes from us. We are giving over our power, the, the power to influence, the power to change. And so I don't deny that those factors exist, but what we do, what I do with schools, is I try to switch that paradigm from the ultimate determiner of how kids are going to do to context. The factors are context. The factors just frame the context for our response. We, the collective, have the power. We we have the the, the greatest leveraging arm um, in our in our field to affect change and ensure high levels of learning for all kids. And so when we give those labels, you know, where kids are from and uh, when our expectations are based on their zip code or whether or not they speak the King's English or whether mama's at home or daddy's at home or any of those factors that are outside our control, we give away the power. And so mm. we try to move from these kids can't to how will we get them there? And that's all based on identifying the most essential learning outcomes in every content area in every course. And, and you know, you, you lay it out as uh, one of the things that I um, took in, in, in my notes is that, you know, you want the, the first thing for a leader to be able to do is to get everyone facing in the same direction. Yes. Because that, that disorganization, uh, I, I hate to say disorganization in your organization, but uh, if everyone's not focused on the same thing, or if we're not all in alignment, of course, you're going to get chaos and in and your results are not going to be efficient or they're not going to be unilateral across the building. And And this kind of goes back to, I think, you have such a core focus in, in PLC work. And, um, you, you know, obviously you've done so much work, Solution Tree, and you have a great partnership. Um, talk a little bit about, you, you know, how the PLC, how, how the foundations of PLC have really impacted all of this work. I mean, everything is really foundational in PLC with you. Okay, so I don't want to sound like the grandpa who's just like chasing you off his lawn and says this stuff has always <laughs> existed. But I am proud to say that uh, the, the the process that Dr. DeFore, Becky DeFore, and Dr. Bob Aker started, PLC's been addressing equity 30 years before equity was ever a buzzword. You know, the, the only factor has been how it's been implemented at schools. And so what the process did for me as a brand-new administrator is that it quieted the noise. There are a 1,000 competing priorities coming at principals all the time, and all of them claim equal importance. But what Rick did for me that day in 2001 when I sat in the back of the room with my Palm I-705 ready to check out and send emails that took five minutes to send on that device, <laughs> he cleared the noise and he made absolutely clear what the priorities were at a school and how we could take the power back. And so getting everyone facing the same direction, the opposite of that is not always a toxic environment. You could have 
a staff, a wonderful staff, a, a committed staff with 50 different whys. The challenge for this work and, and the impetus for Tom and I writing, you know, starting a movement was that 50 different awesome whys aren't going to get the job done. That's a flashlight versus establishing an organizational why that if we use it and leverage it the right way, works as a laser. And so whether the culture is toxic or the culture is expectant but just not organized, the first step is to get absolutely clear on our collective why and then not letting that why die during pre-planning and convocation. It's Mm -hmm. making the why the context for everything we do. And so if our why is centered around all kids learning, you know, every, every high levels of learning for every child, right? High expectations and high levels of learning for every child, then that has to be the context for every decision we make, every way we use human capital, every bit of energy we expend, the initiatives that we engage in, the things we celebrate, the things we confront, they all have to be framed with our why. You know, that's, you know, this is, this is outside of the book. This is just, I'm soaking this in, Ken. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I feel like I'm getting, I, I'm getting a, a learning lesson here just uh, um, from hearing it. And when we talk about authenticity and when we talk about um, that really goes back to that clear sense of direction, uh, you know, you mentioned the word, the things we intentionally celebrate. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes we lose sight because we're so focused on we have to get to this point yes. or if we want the kids to get here. So so say more about the celebration because you just you, like a, a whole bunch of things went off in my brain here as I was listening to you. So I, so I had the great the great fortune of uh, <clears throat> being able to be under the tutelage of of Rick and Becky DeFore, God rest their souls, um, for more than 10 years. And Becky was just phenomenal at the celebration process. And, and what I learned from her is this. When, we, when, when, when teams execute behaviors that we want to see repeated, one of the best and most effective ways to do is to celebrate it. Because there's something crazy about the human being. When we recognize behaviors we want to see repeated and we recognize them often publicly, this crazy thing happens, they're apt to do it again. So they'll do it again. Right. And then people like me who aren't being recognized, my butt starts burning. And I don't want to sabotage that team. I want to know what they're doing. And so I want some of that. I, I want some of that celebration. And so celebration is really important for the sole purpose of, one, feeding the collective soul of the school, feeding the souls of these teachers and staff, but also reinforcing the things, the values, the behaviors, the practices we want to see repeated. If you just keep it that simple, like I want to see that happen again. I want that team to execute that process, that cycle again. And so we celebrate and that, that just, it just stops and feeds us along the way. So, so, so back to kind of the why, you know, one of the things that I really emphasize is, you know, the beginning, beginning of the school year, I'm called out to do tons of conv- convocations and kicking off the school year and getting everybody pumped up and mm-hmm. we get that done, but that doesn't persist. It, it doesn't persist. That's why the why can't die during pre-planning. This work is complex. It's challenging. You're going to have three or four of your best teachers around the table, and they're going to run into roadblocks. And if that why is not in place, if the why is not compelling, we're apt to abandon. When our why is in place and it's compelling, we're apt to work through. The why of the work, along with celebration, doesn't shield us from adversity. It steals us. It gives us an extra layer of skin 
to endure, to get up, dust off, and get at it again. And celebration is a huge, huge part of it. It's like the reinforcer. Absolutely. I mean, that's right. It's and and you know, I I, I think about this, and and I, I and everyone that listens to this podcast knows I get I, I get a little personal. I always think about my situation because you know, what what do we all do as we're listening to this? We're thinking, okay, how does this apply to me? And sure. and uh, I you know, we think about then how do we make those celebrations so they are relevant to the people. Some people want to be called out in front of all the staff. Other people yeah. want that recognition behind the scenes and, and knowing what gets those people to tick so that they help that entire operation move forward. Absolutely. And, and you're always going to have those nuances. Um, you know, there, there are all sorts of celebrations. I don't walk around. I don't go anywhere, you know, without a handful of note cards. I'm a, I'm a handwritten note guy. And so when, the, when, it's, a, when it's an appropriate time for some one-on-one recognition or something that I've, I've seen or something that's been done, I don't hesitate to write a note. Um, but there are times where the celebration needs to be public because, and there are times where we have to kind of work past the often, uh, the almost like inherent modesty of educators. We, yeah. we're, not great, we're not great with celebration. We're not great with taking credit. I worked with a phenomenal kindergarten team yesterday in South Carolina and they showed tremendous growth over the last nine weeks, the data. And I asked the teacher, to what do you attribute this to? And the five things she named were things outside the control of the, the, the classroom was smaller. The more the kids had pre-K. She named all these things that may have a part in it, but I stopped her and I said, now tell me what your team either started doing, continue to do, or stop doing. Mm-hmm. You know, she did everything but give herself credit, and that team definitely deserved credit. And so there are times where as a school leader, we even have to work past the inherent modesty that our teachers often have and see the greater good. And for some teams, the greater good is going to come in recognizing the great work that some teams are doing so that other teams can be inspired and also have a place to go for next steps to implement that kind of work themselves. I, I see it's setting the tone for excellence. It, it, you, even though the modest, I, I, I totally understand that the modesty of teachers, it, it's such a, rarely do they run around going, look at me, look at what we're doing. Right. It's, right. it's, it's always like, oh no, it's, it's always some outside force that's helping this happen. But uh, you're right, by calling it out, it, it does two things. It's positively reinforcing, but it's also helping set the tone so others see what excellence looks like. Yeah, and you know, with, with our celebration culture, um, you know, we were we were a school trying to lift ourselves out of the abyss. And so it started with me. It started with me, but I didn't want it to stay with me. And so I started the celebration protocols and rituals. But eventually, I started to tap staff. And then eventually, it was, you know, me doing it every once in a while, and staff recognizing each other in the context of the why of the work, right? So mm-hmm. celebration usually starts off as a, you know, a who caught the biggest fish last summer and so-and-so got engaged and it's someone's birthday and those are fine. But we really started to focus in on the things that we did to move the needle for both student learning and teacher learning. Wow. Yeah. That's And that's it. And you can do that shift subtly to until it becomes part of the culture of what you Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, um, we, when you and I were talking earlier, uh, we had talked a little bit about 
initiative fatigue. And, and I think everyone that's listening can, can go, oh yeah, you know, here's the next thing. And here's how many initiatives do we have on our plates? And, and when you ask people, what, what are the things that we are currently doing right now? Um, and people can list all these things. And, and you talk about how we have so many things going on. And if we want to create a culture of excellence, or if we, if we want to focus on excellence, we've got to really bring some of that down. And yes. um, so, so tell everybody a little bit about that, why that focus is so important. So I have a book, I have a book being edited right now. And uh, the working title is Teaching with a Ruthless Mindset. And then the sequel is going to be Leading with a Ruthless Mindset. Yeah, yeah. I know ruthlessness has not been used in the most positive light and is rarely used with, uh, with regard to educators. But I've been trying to figure out for years, what is it about that teacher. The best teachers you ever had never needed to see a class list to know they were going to have a great year, a successful year. Didn't always make it an easy year, but a successful year. Mm-hmm. And what I've gleaned in talking with enough of them, and I believe I was one of them as well, is that there was an inherent understanding that to be excellent at every anything, to be excellent at anything, you could not put your time and attention and give it to everything. To be excellent at anything, you can't give all your time and attention to everything. And so right. one has to become ruthless about making sure we do the things that matter and ruthless about cutting away the things that don't move the needle. And so that is a huge part of leadership in this work. I think I know that sometimes we, we say we're not looking for a magic bullet. But when we treat the PLC process, when we treat the process of building a learning for all culture as a compliant one, and folks kind of walk through the steps and we don't see the improvement that we want right away, we're at a conference, we hear about another great initiative, and we come back and we implement that. And and we come back and we implement another one. And soon you have a, a, a culture where you got five worthy initiatives going, but teachers and teams can do none of them well. And and that gets in the way of everything. The reason I advocate for the PLC process so strongly is because it's how it it focuses on how we work together. To me, it lays the foundation for any other initiative we want to implement. It it lays the foundation because you're you're the PLC process is rooted not only in learning for all as a culture, but leaning into each other's collective expertise in terms of execution. And if you can get a team of people around a table, focus on the right questions and issues, using each other as their real-time, short-term professional development, looking at instructional practices that are successful and implementing them, recognizing those things, asking for help when they've all hit a roadblock, there's not one other initiative in education you couldn't funnel through that lens. And so what I encourage schools and districts to do is to focus on getting great at this. One of the challenges schools and districts have had is that they they look at the activity of of the the actions behind a, a learning community as the results. We're doing this. When when a learning community is functioning, you're going to see improvement in both teaching and learning results and we don't wait for that. We just count the results as teachers are showing up to the meeting. They got the agenda. Uh, they did a common assessment. They're quote unquote looking at data, and we count that as the results of the initiative. The results of the initiative is improved student learning, improved teacher learning, and I mean 
hard evidence of it. And so what I want schools to, and leaders to focus on is not implementing this initiative, but getting great at it. What I'm doing with this new book is getting teams to not focus. You, you set goals for data, of course, but you kind of you kind of peek at it every once in a while. What I want them to focus on is how can we get 1% better, as James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits. How can we get 1% better as a team every week? We focus on excellence as a team, and if we do that, results will take care of themselves. Yeah, you know, you 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 said something that I I I, I wrote a little note about is are you are you actually part of a PLC or are you playing yes, PLC? Yes, sir. Yeah, it's called PLC <laughs> light. Right. PLC light. There you go. You know, and, and and when you lay it out like that, it really is clear and understandable. And but I I, I do I you know I I have to say what's also resonating with me is that. Um, because the PLC movement is not a movement. It has been here for a long time. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and so people throw the term PLC around a lot and we, and we say we do it. But to do it with effectiveness, to do it where it is instilled in all of our practices, because PLC is not just about, well, we, we do it for literacy or right. we do it, it. This is it becomes almost like a job embedded practice. Yes. yes. You'll yeah. see the results. You will see improved learning results, student results. Your teachers will be better equipped if you if you execute the process the right way because the PLC process has got two sides to the coin. It's about teacher improvement and student improvement, and that's another another obstacle I I notice in a lot of schools is that we're totally focused on student improvement. Mm-hmm. But the idea is that you and I get better as a fifth grade math team in the service of more students learning more. If we leave the teacher improvement part out of it, then we're just doing a a souped up version of what we've always done, which is look at the data, which students got it, which students didn't, what are we gonna do about these kids? And you know, if we have some time, how do we push the ones who are proficient forward? This is about us getting better as well. When I we look at assessment data, I notice that your kids crushed it in section two and my kids are lagging behind and so is our teammates' kids, then we've got you to look at and say, Okay, what are you doing? What did you do there? to to get kids to get it so quickly because we don't the plc process is not about teaching in lockstep in fact i love it when when a team decides this this target is essential here's what it looks like for mastery we agree on what mastery looks like and now we're going to teach it in three different ways that's great as long as you agree on mastery but then my teammate and i can look across the table at you and say tell us what you did what are you seeing and you, hey, I picked up something off of Teachers Pay Teachers, and the light just seemed to come on. And then I add that tool to my toolbox, and my teammate adds it to her toolbox, and we're both that much better equipped for next time. That's and it takes so away that closing your door and going and, and competing with the people who are in your same team. That's and right. that's, that's, that's a big deal. You know, and, and we take that, that, that work that, that, that we're talking about here, and we look at this also as it's almost like that that form of equity practice. And you talk about how e- equity work is actually just part of how we set up this PLC work, mm-hmm. because then you're, ta- you're taking some of that lens away and you're saying all kids, because we are looking at this from this more global lens within our within our team. That's right. Listen, when, when, when a team identifies what's essential and, and listen, from a from a global perspective, the point is to build the ideal profile of a student that completes your course or or grade level, right? So when we, when fifth grade teachers come together 
there to create the ideal profile of a fifth grade student walking out. And that ideal profile is made up of what those teachers have deemed as essential. And I, when I say essential, I mean essential. I mean no kid can walk out without these learning targets, these skills and competencies, because we know they're going to be behind the eight ball at the next grade level. We know it's not going to set them up for life. Once we decide that a learning target is essential, then equity kicks in. Because once something's deemed essential, then it doesn't matter who you are and where you're from and what language you speak or don't speak or who your parents are or what zip code you live in. That's all context. So with essential learning targets, there is no can they or can't they. There's only how will we get them there. And can't, I don't care if you've got the best four teachers you've ever seen around a table. Once the word can't enters the conversation, the brain shuts down. Mm-hmm. And how and how we get them there opens the way for innovation. And so that's where the judgment is removed, and that's where equity is. Because once we just, once we deem something as essential, there is no, well, these kids are from that side of town or, you know, from the trailer park or from that side of Terra Boulevard. There's, there's yeah. none of that. There's yeah. only how will we get them there. And so that's the mindset shift. This is as much a mindset play as it is an execution play. And all too often, with the greatest of intentions, schools tend to focus on the execution part of it, and they leave the mindset part of it out of it there's something that happens with the human being when we decide that our backs are against the wall and the only way out is that way there's something that happens with us we make things happen but when we when we leave room for judgment we let air in for judgment we're in trouble yeah it gets in the way it does yeah yeah you know this that right there is ruthlessness in all the right ways yes (laughs) <laughs> I, I i see i see where this is going ken i'm glad, <laughs> I I'm glad. My, my uh, wife wasn't sure about that title but i'm, I'm glad you see it. <laughs> no because that's that's unapologetic in all the right ways it's, it's just it's setting the framework and that's and, and we can't make excuses and we can't let the let like we said how you finished it with the end of judgment when the judgment gets in the way is when we start not that's we right. don't we're not serving our kids the way we need to be and, and again i'm just talking about the essentials now now we hope of course we know that some of our kids are going to learn even more than the essentials. Their mm-hmm. kids are going to find their way. My 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 friend Reginald, my friend Reggie was just named vice provost of Rice University. He's amazing, just phenomenal mathematics student. We were in the same algebra class in high school. I hung on to algebra by the cuticles of all <laughs> ten of my fingers. I mean, I'm, I'm holding that bar, man, for dear life. But Reggie, he went to and through that thing and just. And so above the essentials, beyond the essentials, yes, kids are going to differentiate themselves. And that's okay. That's natural. This is not Pollyanna. But what we're saying is in algebra, there are essential skills and competencies no kid can walk out without. No kid. Yeah. No student. And once we identify those, those are the ones that we've got to die trying to make sure they master. You can have some relative judgment and you can notice kids like Reg, who really has just a proficiency and a love for mathematics and wants to take it to the moon. And then you may see kids like me who are just like, when's the semester over? And how long do I have to hang on to this bar? You know, I I know enough algebra to make me dangerous, but I can't do what he does. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right because the the essentials are the foundation, and we're That's and right. then we're and then what are we doing to enhance and take it to the That's next right. level for others? It's you know it, it we, and and I know our time is running short, and so I want to kind of cover a couple of things. But the 
you use the analogy of a, of a basketball layup, okay? And everything yes. that when we're looking at learning can be broken down into steps. And if, if somebody doesn't get it, we break it down into what exact steps do you need to do it? And then how do you execute it? And if you don't get it the first five times, you don't just say, well, now I guess you're done doing basketball layups. Yes. Um, talk a little bit about that because it, it resonated so much with me. That's been the challenge of implementing the PLC process with fidelity is that, again, you know, when I take, when my coach teaches me the, the fundamentals of a layup and maybe there are five steps to it and I go and do it, you know, 50 times and I only, you know, complete two layups and I go back to him and say, well, that didn't work. How about, do you have advanced layup training or, or layup two, you know, <laughs> and he's going to look at me like I'm crazy. He's like, no, no, you got to get great at those five steps. So you got to keep going back. Let's take a look at what you're doing in those five steps. That's been the challenge with the PLC process, whether, you know, folks are calling it advanced PLC or PLC uh, 2.0, or we want, uh, what's, what's next after this intro? No, it's, there's nothing next. It's getting great at this. And so yeah. the, 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 and you know, so you're getting true. great at it again, when we focus on results, where were our kids at the beginning of the quarter? Where are they at the end of the quarter? How many kids had this mastered at the beginning? How many at the end? How close are we to hundred percent of our kids? mastering these essential skills and competencies we identify it and so if we can turn away from making our focus activity and really really make our focus results which can be scary for some folks you know some accountability yeah then it will transform the way this thing is done because it's only about getting better and better and better so so true now we're, we're running out of time so i just want to cover a, a couple of things so I, on a personal note ken because for all of us who are parents and i have a son in college and you've got you've got one world traveler and you've yeah. got one who's in school right. how have you mastered sleeping at night without worrying about the weight of the world on your kids oh, boy, <laughs> boy. It, is, it is tough well you know my wife and i realized early on that we can, we're going to try to instill them with all the awesome values. And I mean, she is the bedrock of our family. I mean, she really is. And you just hope that when they find themselves in situations, they can recall it. There's, there's nothing better than, you know, when I hear from my son or daughter and say, you know what, I get it now. I, I see what you're saying. Or you find them, you know, integrating uh, some of the things you try to teach them in life. They are their own people. And mm -hmm. You know, I grew up in an age where, you know, your parents and grandparents, they got a job, they worked 35 years, you may have one home, maybe you moved to a second home, but you kind of just stayed stable. And then my generation, you know, was the generation that kind of moved out of state and went to college away. And, you know, and now my kids' generation, my kids are have traveled all over the world and lots of times on their own dime. And so you just hope every day that, they take the best of what you learned and uh, implement and, yeah. and, and learn from their mistakes. I think what I'm most proud of with them is that one, they're curious. Mm -hmm. And if I could instill, if you narrow things down to like one thing you want kids to walk out of there with, aside from, of course, the essentials is I want kids to be curious. I want people to be curious when the, when the human being is curious, they're unstoppable. And two, they really do. We all slip up in this area, but they are really good with this. They take responsibility. 
They just, they just take responsibility. Anything goes wrong, they're asking themselves, what could I have done better? What can I do next time? Because they understand that as soon as we blame anything outside our control, we've given the power away. Yeah. Even in the circumstances that look like it's totally our fault. It's, it's totally someone else's fault. When it's, I mean, even in those situations, you ask yourself, when I'm on my way to do professional development at a school and I find myself getting behind uh, an accident, traffic, yes, it's frustrating. Yes, I don't want to be late. But immediately I have this, I don't know, this wiring that says, all right, next time leave a little earlier. Right. You know? So it's, 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 I'm always looking for ways to keep the power. And, and so in terms of them traveling all over the world, you, you know, you, you say a prayer, you tell them that no matter what happens, you can always call home. And yeah. I think they've done that, but we're really proud of them. It's, it's hard watching them leave it and is. going, I, I hope that you don't have to make the same mistakes I made to get to Indeed. where I am, even Indeed. though I'm happy where I am. <laughs> we all That's know right. how we get no, there. No, I get it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I was just reflecting about our conversation. And so everyone, um, Ken is going to be our speaker on Thursday, the, February 6th at Institute. And if you want more of this, this, I cannot tell you enough that you need to register and be here because this is just the beginning. And I want to tell you, if you go to unfoldthesoul.com, Ken has a video on there that really you're only going to spend, Ken, I think the video is about five minutes, um, give or take there. And it's it's really powerful and impactful if you want to understand a lot of the core of what Ken is talking about and what he believes in. And I appreciate it will, that. It will resonate with everyone. Um, I I just think about at the end you close with when you decide, yes. and that's and that just to me I was like wow that's I, I don't want to give away because I don't know if you're going to be talking about that the keynote but that that to me was the wow the clincher the here it is everyone go and check that video out it is worth your time to look at it. Thank you so much. And that was, that was a, that was a spiritual purging. And when I tell people, sometimes I look at a video and I see six minutes and I like, I click out of it, you know, thank you for that endorsement. I would just say, listen to the first 73 seconds. If you, if it doesn't grab you by then, then fine. But it does. People, it'll grab you. Those first ones, you, you, you're just going to go, yep. Okay. Let's hear what else there is. Cause it's, it's, it's awesome. So, so everyone, um, Ken will be here on Thursday. Uh, go to mespa.net backslash institute. Get yourself signed up. Come meet with your colleagues. This is about your professional development and your growth. And so we do better when we're all learning together. So, so be there at MESPA. Ken, thank you so much for taking the time to, to communicate with me, but also to share your message with our other principals here in Minnesota. Hey, thank you so much. It's an honor. I cannot... I'm 51, so I don't rush time. I don't rush things, <laughs> but I cannot wait for the event. Thank you so much for this opportunity. We're really looking forward to it. And Ken, how can people find you on social media? I know unfoldthesoul.com, but uh, how, what are other ways they can find you? Sure. Uh, at unfoldthesoul on Twitter, at unfoldthesoul on Instagram, and on Facebook, my personal page has just turned into my professional page, so Ken Williams but you can also find Unfold the Soul on Facebook as well. Great. Hey, again, thank you, Ken. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And uh, be sure to like the podcast and share it with others if you enjoy it. We want to keep doing this, and uh, we're hoping that you're enjoying it, everyone. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Make it a great day.
Thanks for listening to this episode of MESPA Principal Cast. For more information about the Minnesota Elementary School Principals Association, visit mespa.net.